the technology podcast from ATZ and MTZ, the leading magazine for vehicle and powertrain technology, talks with the most exciting players of the scene. Your host is Dr. Alexander Heinzen. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. We are talking with two specialists from Siemens Digital Industries Software and warmly welcome Steve Dom, Director Automotive Industry Solutions at SimCenter and Tom van Hoeke, Director SimCenter Engineering and Consulting Services. Welcome, guys. Hello. I hope you're in good shape because today we are going deep into digitalization and vehicle performance engineering. This brings me right to the first topic. Digitalization and virtual simulation are hot topics nowadays, as we all know. So let's talk a bit about the opportunities and limits, the dream and the current reality. Stephen, what can simulation or the digital twin achieve in the development, testing and validation of functional safety? Well, I think in the first of all, uh, we need to think about or maybe define what is a, a digital twin. Uh, because the, there are many views on that. And uh, <laughs> I like to always sort of set the scene for that and, and, and give a, a bit of a view on what is the digital twin uh, from my or our perspective, if you want. And a digital twin, since we work essentially in vehicle development, uh, the digital twin is at any stage of your development, the best possible representation of the reality that you are creating the vehicle that you are creating in a computer model. And that can computer model can have many different uh, forms. It could be a conceptual model at the very beginning with uh, just a system simulation or what people sometimes call 1D simulation. Uh, that can be later on take part, take the form of uh, very detailed CFD calculations, a very detailed CFD model, and at some point also can be uh, a test-based model. Uh, just a representation through that, that comes from test data. And that is, all of these are digital twins, if you want. It, 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 saying there is a single digital twin, well, there is maybe a single digital twin that is the best possible representation of a model or of the reality as a model. <clears throat> so if I understand Now, you well, uh, the uh, simulation or the digital twin will not substitute the test, but it's, uh, it's uh, also in the future an interaction between digital twin and the real test. Because well, you, you said it will just the, the reality at one point in the development yes, process. It is the best possible representation of reality as we know it or as we see it at that stage of development, uh, I would say. And there is obviously a push toward uh, achieving more in development earlier in the development. And that's where, of course, when we say where simulation then plays the major role is to say we want to simulate as much as possible the reality with computer models as early as possible in our uh, vehicle development. And that is, of course, then, yeah, why is that? That's very simple. You want to avoid uh, late stage troubleshooting. Uh, that's a message, if you want, that we've been hearing and actually been talking about for as long as I've been active in engineering. Uh, 25 years ago, we were already saying, oh, we need to do more earlier. The fact is, that 
as technology evolves, we are able to simulate more earlier in the development. And that push will keep on coming. And there is no, there is no uh, limit to that dream, if you want. Is, and the, the ultimate goal of some companies will be to essentially simulate everything and not do any testing anymore. But in saying that, we maybe have a different view on that. Uh, with some years of experience at home, mm-hmm. in that sense, you are not able or you, will, you are not always able to simulate everything, especially with the advent of new technologies and new concepts that arrive in your vehicle development. Tom, uh, do you agree with your colleague or do you see other potentials uh, in the future regarding this topic and where are the limits? Well, uh, certainly uh, there, are, there are more opportunities and, and it's actually enhanced, I would say, by, by two evolutions. First of all, there is no more limit to data collection and storage and OEMs, they realize that they have a lot of historic data, test data, data from uh, vehicles uh, within in used, uh, and that that uh, can can be uh, uplifted or leveraged by um, applying uh, machine learning technologies, by using machine learning technologies to actually create also models, test-based models that define the relation between the vehicle characteristics and the, the performance. Uh, that's an evolution on one hand. On the other hand, we see as the computational capacity increases, um, it will be uh, possible to uh, run even more comprehensive digital twins in real time and uh, to use that in combination uh, with testing and not just during the development stage, but also later on during the vehicle in use so that such that uh, the, the controller and the performers can be um, optimized can be improved by using the models and the latest data, even when the vehicles is already on the market, is already uh, driven uh, in use. Yeah, it's a little bit the infinity loop uh, concept that you see coming up that uh, sort of pushes uh, the idea that the V cycle is not done at the end of the V cycle, uh, but that it actually keeps rolling mm-hmm. and that you will use models in your vehicle and that you actually use those models and as they are used and as they as your vehicle is being uh, utilized uh, by the driver that it actually will be possible to even then improve on the vehicle and I come back to the fact that you you have of course the possibility to change for example the control software on the vehicle as you are using it yeah but uh, over the air updates for example you just mentioned the continuously learning vehicle also in the uh, driving process at the customer um, there is some artificial intelligence necessary to provide this so nowadays we've got a big hype uh, in some parts uh, regarding artificial intelligence do you agree with this hype or do you say Oh, AI is just a tool uh, like uh, many others. It has advantages, but it is always as good as the developer. How do you see it? Well, yes, that's essentially the case. It's Indeed, AI is a tool, but you should very much know what you are doing. You should know what you're putting in there to make sure that you get the right output. 
Just to give you an example, as I was saying before, the OEMs, the companies, they realize they have a lot of data from the past, historic data, a lot of data from benchmarking, but how to use that in the correct way? Well, there are three requirements there. First of all, the data has to be stored and labeled correctly so it can be reused, it can be compared. Secondly, you need, of course, the know-how about machine learning technology in order to use the right method to get most out of the data. And third of all, third and most important, you need application know-how. You should know which characteristics of the in the development, which characteristics in the database are important to characterize your design. Um, rubbish in, rubbish out. Suppose that you are characterizing your, your vehicle. You want to know what are the what is the NVH performance and you are also uh, taking into account the color of the car. You might get as an output that the red car is always less uh, noisy. Well, that makes no sense. On the other hand, wheelbase, tire characteristics and so forth, they will be important to take into account. And there is more than that. Um, Machine learning can, can do more than just analyze historic data. You could also think about, we, we talked about this comprehensive digital twin. Well, how to use that um, during operation, how to use that to optimize your controller. That's not possible nowadays using the complete digital twin, but you can use machine learning technologies to reduce your models and replace them by neural networks. A neural network essentially will give you the relation between the input and output and that might be enough for usage during operation and to optimize your control so you're actually saying tom that you're putting a model of the vehicle inside the vehicle yes yes indeed that's correct that's Next to that, we see that uh, machine learning can, for instance, also help you during your development within the software to tell you what an expert would do as a next step, which analysis he would do as a next step in the development, or just if um, your design is not uh, meeting the target, what you have to do or where you have to look to improve your design to meet the targets. And then maybe one uh, last uh, nice specific example is that you can also use AI to define human-like driver behavior. And that can help in the development of autonomous vehicles and potentially make them more acceptable for the general public. Yeah, the relevance of AI also in this field is rising dramatically. On the other hand, most people do not experience any automatic function nowadays in their cars, but let's touch this customer aspect a bit later. I would like to direct you to another aspect now, the topic of system integration and process integration, which is directly linked to what we just discussed before. Vehicle systems are ever more interlinked with each other, as we three know. They are integrated. How should that be managed and what challenges does that pose? I mean, it isn't easy at all, isn't it, Stephen? Well, it's actually a very, a very uh, good point because the um, as vehicles become more complex. I always like to go back to uh, <clears throat> the old uh, school and, uh, and and look at uh, the, the uh, maybe a car from like 20 or 30 years ago where systems were very much disconnected from each other. I mean, you had a, 
combustion engine and you had uh, some maybe controls on that and even if you go a little bit back there were no controls you just had a carburetor <laughs> and that was it and a, and a gas pedal clear uh, done you have a, a transmission with a gear shift and a clutch and all these comp all these systems were all very much uh, disconnected from well they were connected obviously to make the car drive but they were they didn't have a lot of interdependencies and i like to compare that with uh, something that is very common or getting very common nowadays just to to show the 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 two sides of the evolution that is there and that's to show take a look at an e-drive system so you have a, an, a, an electric motor, a gearbox, and the power electronics, and they are all built into essentially one box. So it's not anymore the case that the, the person that is doing the electromagnetics for the electric motor and the person that is doing the, uh, the gear for the, the gearbox, and maybe it's a very simple gearbox and just the gear ratio, but still it's a gearbox, and then the power electronics that are uh, associated with that uh, electric uh, motor, that they can work completely independent of each other. They are, and that, I mean, there are many different systems, but, but it's a very uh, obvious one to, to just highlight and, and to show the fact that you have experts from different domains that need to really work together in order to achieve an efficient unit by themselves uh, or as an integrated component. And, and there are plenty of examples in the market, and I'm not going to name names, but the, uh, where you see that that collaboration has not been done as effectively as it could be. Uh, just looking at a cooling system. I mean, your mo electric motor needs cooling, your gearbox needs cooling, and your power electronics needs cooling. If that cooling system is built or designed as one cooling system for the whole and is taking all the different aspects into account at the same time, so that thermal engineer had to have collaboration with both or all three of the different main components, the electronics guy, the gearbox guy, and the electromagnetics guy. Well, when he does that together, when he, when he does that collaboration uh, well, he can design a good integrated cooling system. But I do see some cars on the market where those cooling systems are still separated. And you wonder, you so the electronics guy had the cooling at, at somebody from the thermal department, making sure that his part was cooled per, uh, in the appropriate way. And the gearbox guy had the same and the electric motor guy had the same. In the end, I'm ending up with three cooling systems, whereas one system would probably much better suited to just do that, uh, that work and, and probably a lot more efficient. And you see that also in the market with cars that have these systems much more integrated and actually, if you go a step further, the HVAC system of the car. Yeah? So your air conditioning that is in that car also requires a cooling loop or a, or a, or a heating slash cooling loop. Well, once you start connecting those things together and actually optimize it as a whole, as an integrated system, you can achieve much higher levels of efficiency. Um, so that's where the 
complexity leads to a need for much deeper collaboration, a much better way of working together. That's a good point. So uh, technically, I mean, it's clear we need to be more efficient. We need to be optimized also to bring those products to the market for at a reasonable price the customer uh, wants to, to pay. But what does this mean process-wise and what uh, does this mean for the organization of development? I mean, traditionally, car makers are working in columns. Uh, you know, this department does the engine, the other one does the interior, this one does the electronics, and you need people just to link uh, everybody. I think this might not be quite adequate in the future. So from your point of view, um, what are the, the, the processual and organizational uh, changes needed for the future? Well, if I, if I can ask, one of the one of the things that you see nowadays a lot and uh, is in our uh, customer base is that you see ideas come up like system engineering. System engineering, the methodology essentially that links requirements and and a total description of requirements to functions that need to be implemented as a on a global level and then cascaded to the different subsystems and creating a process that links verification management, verification activities to each of the functions and validation of all the different requirements in a in a very thorough process, which has been essentially established in the in the aerospace industry, where they were doing this for a very long time already, uh, essentially paper-based. Uh, when you look at the space programs, and, and I know this is automotive, but the fact is that at, in those uh, in that environment or in the, that world, that interlinking of systems was already much more apparent uh, or became an issue much earlier than in automotive. And now we see in the automotive world, we see a lot of things, people talking about uh, sort of, I would call it almost buzzwords like model-based system engineering and model-based development where uh, our customers try to implement similar ideas, similar concepts into their development in order to actually support that interlinking. But it's not so easy at all. No, it's not so, not so easy. Everyone realizes that they have to move in that direction, uh, but just uh, how to exchange the necessary information, how to exchange uh, the models in the end. Um, you want every... Uh, division everyone who is, is um, responsible for one part of the vehicle to be able to have all, all the information, but in the right way. I mean, um, if you are uh, responsible for the gear, then that's your domain. You, you need all the details there. But for the other components which are connected, you just need to know the influence of those components on what is happening in the gear train. Um, so you need uh, to have the right process to make this happen, the exchange of, of models, the exchange of information. And therefore, at the backbone, you need a good uh, system, a, a, new, a good tool that can, can enhance this. Yeah. The, right, the right, you can call it about a PLM system or a process management system. It doesn't matter what, how you call that, but it's the... Uh, the possibility 
and the and the tools and the and the and the process or the tools that are inside the process because the process is the most important part but you need the tools to support the process in order to be able to actually achieve such collaborations such working together where a non-expert from one domain can use the models that were created by an expert in another domain yeah. so that the <clears throat> so that you can really think system integrated throughout the development rather than domain or a particular attribute. I can be a noise and vibration engineer, uh, but when I'm a now nowadays a noise and vibration engineer, just to give a, a simple example, I may have uh, in the past, I had the tools to uh, add mass or add some damping to reduce uh, a certain noise feature. But now I can also think of maybe I can work together with the controls engineer because maybe I have a, a driveline judder that is in, induced by by the, the 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 gearbox and and motor working together. But if I change the control electronics on my motor, I might actually achieve the reduction of that judder effect without having to make any mechanical changes. So you need to think it's not it's a collaboration and it's also a little bit a opening the minds of the different uh, engineers in that sense. If we go further with that idea, we have um, only fully electrical cars. We don't need a gearbox because an electric motor doesn't need any gear shift. Um, every car has uh, steer-by-wire, has drive-by-wire, has brake-by-wire. Every car is on level three or level four of automated driving. In this case... Will a BMW be still a BMW, a Ferrari still be a Ferrari, a Golf still be a Golf? Maybe Golf is not the right uh, uh, example because who buys a Golf by heart? But anyway, um, let's talk about the future of brand differentiation. What UIPs do you see differentiating brands in the future? Having given uh, the fact I, I, uh, I just outlined. Yeah, I think it's a very good question. Eh? And the answer is, is a little bit, uh, is, is not uh, black and white, I think. The, how do you uh, differentiate your brand in the context of uh, going through uh, autonomous, especially autonomous vehicles? When we talk about electric vehicles, I think there we still have the, uh, the element of driving. And so, like what you mentioned, the BMW, uh, the Freude am Fahren will still be there with the electric. And you see it also in the reviews when you uh, look at, uh, and, I mean, we're not going to make a commercial for BMW, but people driving an i4, they say it drives like a BMW. And that's, and that's a good thing. And I think that in the, <clears throat> if we uh, look at the, uh, the user experience that people will have in a car, that will still be the main aspect of the, uh, the brand differentiation. You will still want to be, and, and that's a challenge for the OEMs, is you, you will need to make a Mercedes feel like a Mercedes when you step into it. And, uh, and a Golf, actually, maybe a golf should still when it goes through a turn lift its inner right wheel eh? that uh, was a, a trademark of the golf for uh, 
generations, <laughs> you take it for a fast turn in the road. I had one, yeah. <laughs> the, inner, the inner rear wheel would, would go, come off the ground. And that was part of what made the golf a golf. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that the engineers built that into it <laughs> throughout the uh, generations. Uh, never got confirmation of that, but it was just a fact. Um, so the, the user experience will be... Uh, very important and, and and you see also the uh, different OEMs really think about how do I differentiate myself how do I make that user experience with with the environment that is created inside the vehicle how do I make that my own and towards autonomous vehicles that that challenge will be much uh, much greater even because then you will only be a passenger, right? That's what I indicated before. <clears throat> You're only a, a passenger. How should that feel then? Um, should the car still feel like the same way as, as if you were driving yourself? Um, and it, yeah, it's a good point because do, do you think of then if you have an autonomous, if you have an autonomous driving uh, Rolls Royce, should it be like a carpet on? like a, a flying carpet or and a BMW should that autonomously drive like a sporty vehicle? Hmm. Do the customers accept that? I mean, uh, what you just mentioned, especially Tom, uh, uh, regarding uh, self-driving, really self-driving vehicles. So we're talking about level five where uh, you are just a passenger. But I think it's also valid or might be valid in, in level four uh, uh, already. Do you think that the HMI, the human machine interface, will play a much higher role than nowadays in differentiating brands to give the right feeling for the right car? The, absolutely. I think the, the, the way you interact, like I said, the way you interact with the vehicle will be actually how that brand is different how you are how you are going to relate to the vehicle how that vehicle is actually going to define itself in terms of its identity its its character uh, to you and that's that's part of that the hmi is part of that but also how it will drive i think that it, it's not i think the hmi is, is an important aspect because especially when you're going to autonomous yeah then it's pretty much you're a passenger, but it will also be how that vehicle behaves, how that, how the comfort in that vehicle will be in, in terms of, and, and what level of comfort or what type of comfort that, uh, that you will see. I think Tom was alluding to that with this uh, human-like driving. Yeah? yeah, there's a lot of investigation today. How does a human drive? But the question is whether this will stay relevant and probably it will not be. But uh, we're not ready for that yet. Huh? The market is not yet ready for that. We have seen how long it took actually for the, the European market, especially to accept automatic transmissions. And there's still a way to go for autonomous uh, vehicles. It has to be safe. Uh, of course, that's the first priority. But it also um, has to give a, a comfortable feeling. People need to allow the, the, the car to take over. We have yeah, you see, 80% of people actually, and that was like a study, 80% of people apparently turn off all these uh, ADAS features in their car. Uh, yeah, 
then the question is like if you everybody turns it off i mean it means that the oem still have a long way to go to create that acceptance for that yeah, because if and in all honesty i have turned them off i totally admit that I mean, I'm not saying which car I'm driving. <laughs> since a short time, we have the first car with uh, level three in the world market, the Mercedes S-Class, which is luxury segment. So as you said, there will be a long time for the ordinary customers until they can experience that. And that's, the, I think, one of the most relevant questions. How do we prepare the market? How can we prepare the market and the customers? Because most customers don't even have an adaptive cruise control. So how can we prepare them and thus the market for level three, four, five to be able to sell those cars? I think the, the most important part there will be to convince them. It's not just preparing them, but it's really convincing them to, uh, to uh, accept uh, that. And like you said, 80% of people turn these features off in their cars, so there is no acceptance of it. And the preparation of that... There is no acceptance because we, we don't know what the customer wants. We don't know what the customer expects. You think, of course, the customer also wants to have a safe drive. And those automated functions today, they make sure that your drive becomes safer and still you don't ex accept it. Yes. Because it doesn't do exactly what you want it to do. So the first thing is to understand well what a customer uh, expects what uh, before we can take the next step. I think it, I think you're absolutely right there. It's the, the and that's part of the preparation of the of the market. If you want, is to is to understand how can how will the how will drivers actually uh, get to the point that they just let go of that of a level of control, and the fact that uh, certain of these some of these features now act in a way that is unexpected, probably. And probably in a safe way, yeah? it means it doesn't mean that it's unsafe what the car is doing, but the car is doing something that the, the driver or the passenger in that sense does not expect from the from the car it leads to uh, to him not allowing the vehicle to continue driving autonomously or at least not have those uh, corrective measures in place. But that's, that's, I, I think that comes with, in the beginning, it's cool to have something automated. And, and OEMs were doing that with a focus on, on the safety. And it was just cool that, that you have these automated functions, the, the driver assistant uh, functionality. But then later on, uh, the, the, um, the perception came or, or the insight came that, um, that people are not using it because it's not doing what they want. So it, it's a, a progressing uh, insight. I think mm -hmm. you, you see that in the beginning, it was all about how do we automate the vehicle? How do we automate a function? How do we increase this, the safety? Safety was the word in terms of autonomous driving uh, vehicles or in terms of automating already some functionalities in the electric vehicle. But we see that the perception changes now. We know that we have to take into account the customer. If we want them to use it, we should know what they want. It's not just the safety, but it has to be balanced with the comfort. It has to be balanced with the user experience. Absolutely. 
So, I mean, sometimes you hear that experts say we will just go from level two to level four or five directly. We don't need level three. So assuming what you uh, just said, you believe more in an evolution than a revolution. So you would not say it would be wise to uh, skip levels, uh, knowing the fact that most customers uh, nowadays have problems accepting uh, these aids. But I'm not 100% sure of that. Maybe if you can actually come up with a can come with a level five vehicle uh, immediately. Let's say that that is, would be possible. Uh, maybe the acceptance would would be quicker because you have you would be in no well in no way interacting with the driving anymore. The car would just do what the car is doing, right? It's uh, and you have the confirmation from the manufacturing or from the uh, government to certify the vehicle that what the car will be doing is safe and you don't have any responsibility anymore and that or at least you don't feel like you have the responsibility anymore and that's a that, that's a that's a uh, would make a big difference i think in the mind of people um, <clears throat> on the other hand of course having it evolutionary which is obviously the way it will go because the everybody all the car manufacturers will implement features uh, autonomous drive features as they become available because that is of, uh, obviously the the right way to do it if you think of it as a from a marketing perspective you are not going to deny your customers certain functions in your car just because you think they are not yet ready for it it, it is really also an element of well, I want to be the first to achieve, let's say, with Mercedes, the level three uh, commercialized vehicle. Well, okay, level level three autonomous driving vehicle commercialized by by Mercedes, and that gives them a certain prestige, which is logical, which is which is correct, and that that that's perfectly uh, understandable from a Mercedes perspective to do that. And so I'm sure that as we go to level three, four, and then finally maybe five, and probably five, uh, in maybe 10 years from now, I'm, I'm just saying 10 years, I, I don't have uh, a crystal ball uh, to say exactly when we will have uh, commercial vehicles with level five uh, autonomy. I mean, technically, it's probably earlier, or technically, it's probably achievable earlier than that, but uh, from a legislative perspective there will also be challenges and so on so it, uh, let's see when that comes but people will or car manufacturers will release those features as they are available just from a commercial perspective you need to do that i cannot imagine that they would hold back on that but i'm not sure if it will be an evolution of a revolution because once you go in the direction of fully automated vehicles then do you still need to own your vehicle or do we move in the direction of shared mobilities? Now, I, I would assume there might be some, some cities uh, where there are actions taken to, to install such a system and then you cannot just allow some people to move in that direction. Then you completely rethink your, your concept of, of mobility. And that's, that's something that maybe we or OEMs don't like to talk about that, but that's certainly something we have to think about that opens possibilities and I think that might also be uh, a way to accept that the car takes over if you see what are the possibilities once you don't 
all not everyone needs to have his car but you completely re reorganize uh, your your infrastructure and your, and your mobility uh, that's a very good point and and actually i think most oems are really thinking in that uh, direction in terms of how will we stay relevant or how does the car company stay relevant in a uh, shared mobility type of environment and i think there are a lot of questions that still need to be answered there and then the question when you say uh, a certain brand and it drives like that or how does do you get brand identity when you are talking about shared mobility then that brand identity will be another level of uh, question if you want another level of uncertainty uh, do i really want to have i mean what am i going to do pay extra uh, in a shared mobility context to drive or to have a mercedes pick me up rather than a, uh, a middle class brand if you want it's a good question huh? but I honestly don't have the answer to that. <laughs> I think we uh, all don't have the answer. To uh, conclude, would you agree if I uh, say that uh, in the future, at some point in the future, um, criteria like performance and handling will move to the background, uh, criteria like comfort and reliability will stay, and new criteria like connectivity and user interface will define the buyer criteria for this or that model? Short answer. Yes. Short answer, yes. yes. The short answer is definitely yes. <laughs> the, the per, I mean, performance, performance and handling, I mean, if the car drives by itself, who cares about the performance and the handling? The car needs to deal with that. But you will be worried about the comfort in the car. That That's clear. I mean, you want to be comfortable in the car. But I think also in terms of reliability, and, and certainly if you think further down the road, like what was uh, Tom was mentioning, um, when you're talking about shared mobility, reliability, durability will become all of a sudden not something that was just a necessity in the past where people said, okay, we... We engineer for a car to be good for 170, 200,000 kilometers, and then things can start failing. Now, when you have a shared vehicle that is actually going to drive maybe not just 50 kilometers a day, but 1,000 kilometers a day, I don't think you want to change, or you, I don't think it will be acceptable for those vehicles to actually be uh, decommissioned after, what, three months or so? Just a crazy idea, but you, you, you will need to think about those things uh, in that sense. So, gentlemen, thanks a lot to you, Stephen, Tom, for this uh, nice talk. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you listening, you're listening to this uh, podcast, enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Have a nice day. Goodbye. Mehr Talk on Technology hörst du in den anderen Shows. Abonniere den kompakten Technik-Podcast von ATZ MTZ am besten gleich. Die führenden Zeitschriften für Fahrzeug- und Antriebstechnik holen bald wieder einen spannenden Player der Szene vor das Mikrofon und du wirst garantiert dabei sein.